Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. For Connecticut Public, I'm Frankie Graziano. This election season, Connecticut Public, in collaboration with the League of Women Voters of Connecticut, has held a series of political debates designed to educate local voters on candidates running for office in Connecticut. And tonight, in our final debate, we're paying special attention to 41 towns in western and central Connecticut, the 5th U.S. Congressional District. We are broadcasting live tonight from the Torp Theater on the campus of Central Connecticut State University. And before I introduce the candidates, let me go over tonight's debate structure, the cumulative time format. It's designed to allow the candidates time to discuss the issues. The only rule is that the total time used by each candidate by the conclusion of the debate should be approximately the same. The candidates will not be restricted to one or two minute responses. Instead, they may spend as little or as much time as they feel is appropriate to discuss each issue. Our goal is to encourage debate. The candidates will take turns being the first to respond to a question. Following the question period, each candidate will make a two-minute closing statement. Members of the League of Women Voters are serving as timers for the debates and will keep the candidates and me informed of the time expended. If a serious imbalance in time used occurs during the course of the debate, I'll call it to their attention and see that it is corrected. Applause is permitted at the start and at the end of tonight's program. And now it's time to introduce you to the two candidates running against one another in the fifth. Joining us are Johanna Hayes, a Democrat. And George Logan, a Republican. The recipient of the first question was decided by a coin toss backstage, and it goes to Mrs. Hayes. Thank you guys for that handshake. I like that. Good camaraderie here. You're going to get the first question, Mrs. Hayes, and I'll start now, and then afterwards, Mr. Logan will get the second question. The U.S. Supreme Court recently over, overruled Roe v. Wade, leading many to turn to federal lawmakers regarding access to safe and legal abortion. If there was a federal vote to codify uh, a person's right to choose, would you vote yes or no? I would absolutely vote yes if there was a federal vote to codify a woman's right to choose. I have already taken that vote in the 116th and the 117th Congress. I am a co-sponsor of the legislation. I have been vocally supportive of women's reproductive health and women's reproductive rights, of access to contraception, of the idea that the decision is between a woman and her doctor, full stop. There is no room for government intervention. There is no room for me. 
So all of the nuances that accompany this conversation are just distractions. My job in the Congress is to make federal law. And from the federal government standpoint, there is no place in women's reproductive choice. Mr. Logan. Thank you. And I'd first like to thank Central Connecticut State University, uh, the League of Women Voters, and NPR for putting together this wonderful event. Uh, I support a woman's right to choose. I support Connecticut state law codifying a woman's right to choose. And as a member of Congress, I would do just that, just as I had done it when I was in the state Senate. The overturning of Roe v. Wade does not change anything in Connecticut because we have codified a woman's right to choose. The U.S. Supreme Court, we have our three branches of government, they decided that the decision regarding a woman's right to choose and the abortion issue should be left up to the states. I would comply with the U.S. Supreme Court's decision, and I would not uh, vote in favor of uh, codifying uh, Roe v. Wade at the federal level. I think it's a uh, um, decision has been made by the U.S. Supreme Court. I will do everything in my power to make sure that a woman's right to choose is in no way uh, infringed from what we have here uh, in Connecticut state law. Would you like a chance to reply? I don't think Mr. Logan understands what choice means. It doesn't mean that the federal government or the state government can decide. It means that the individual decides. So the idea that he would not vote to support codifying Roe versus Wade means that he thinks that individual states should make the decision for the woman. That is not choice. Choice means that the person decides for themselves in consultation with their medical professionals, their doctors, their families, what decision they are going to make for themselves, not the state. Mr. Logan, would you like one more chance to reply? Washington versus Connecticut. My focus is on the 5th Congressional District. I support a woman's right to choose as codified in Connecticut state law, and I will defend that in Washington. Mr. Logan, this next question goes to you. I just want to oh. respond. This is not a Washington versus Connecticut, and this will be the last thing that I say about this. I support a woman's right to choose full stop. I have voted for it. I will continue to vote for it. It doesn't mean that state legislators can decide. It means that the individual can decide for themselves all the time, regardless of the geography what decisions they want to make over their own personal and reproductive health. It has nothing to do with Washington versus Connecticut. I'll give you one more chance to reply and then we'll move on. Sure, you know, there are many uh, contrasts between my opponent and I, and that's, in my opinion, what this debate is about. Uh, we both agree in the importance and significance of a woman's right to choose. Uh, the main difference is that my opponent believes in abortion with no restrictions. My opponent does not believe in parental notification if a 14 or 15 or 16-year-old child is seeking an abortion. We have differences. But in terms of supporting a woman's right to choose, in terms of supporting Connecticut state law, codifying a woman's right to choose, I will do everything in my power to make sure that nothing occurs in the federal government, at the federal level, that infringes upon Connecticut state law codifying a woman's right to choose.
Mr. Logan, the governing body of high school sports in Connecticut allows kids to participate in sports by the gender to which they identify with he, she, or they. The federal government once threatened to state, excuse me, they once threatened state education funding over trans participation in local high school sports. Do you support the rights of the transgender female athletes involved in that lawsuit and at large the rights of members of the LGBTQIA community? Yes, thank you for that question. Uh, I certainly support the rights of the LGBT community and those transgender community as well. I also support the rights of girls and, and women, particularly in K through 12. I do not believe that males should compete against females in sports, particularly in grades K through 12. Look, throughout the 5th Congressional District, I talk to parents all over the district. We have girls, high school, competing for scholarships, competing with other girls. And to uh, allow biological males to compete with girls, particularly in K through 12, I think it's unfair for the girls that are competing and, again, looking towards college, looking towards scholarships, and I, I, don't, I just don't think that's, uh, that's fair. Mrs. Hayes. Well, Frankie, um, I just want to say, I told you on the last question I wasn't going to say anything else, but I have to respond to Mr. Logan's last statement. Because they keep going unchecked saying his opponent supports late-term abortions and parental notification. What I support is codifying the language of Roe, which says, that up to viability and beyond that in the good faith consultation with the medical professional. That means exactly what I said. The decision is between a woman and her doctor. When we talk about parental notification, at the point where a 15, 16, 7-year-old, 17-year-old finds themselves in their, that position, something at home is most likely already disrupted and they need to be able to seek help. I was pregnant at 17. This idea that you have to get someone at home to sign off or allow you to get help presupposes that you come from a two-parent supportive household. That is not the case for everyone. To your question about transgender athletes, it's interesting because on every other issue, Mr. Logan says the state should decide. Well, Connecticut has decided that transgender athletes can play high school sports. As a congressperson, I am not only the congressperson for cisgender athletes, for people who identify as gay, LGBTQ. I am also the congressperson for trans students. I really struggled on this one because I spoke out when the previous Secretary of Education said she was going to withhold federal funds. My job as a member of Congress, there's a lot about the, the biological journey that I don't understand when it comes to trans athletes or trans students, but what I do understand is discrimination. And at the federal level, you cannot discriminate based on sexual identity. If you, as an elected official, can't understand that in this role, your job is to be the voice for all of your constituents, even the ones you don't understand, you don't agree with, you don't, all of them. And my constituency includes people that identify as LGBTQ, trans, queer, whatever. I am their congressperson too. And their parents are looking for someone to have a voice for them. So when we talk about withholding federal funds 
to a state or a district based solely on gender identity, it is illegal. Mr. Logan, would you like to reply? Yes, just to say, look, I am not in favor of um, transferring one form of discrimination for another. Again, I want to be a voice of the people of the 5th Congressional District. I first announced my campaign in July of last year, and I've been going all throughout the district, and I have heard repeatedly over and over again this issue. Transgender athletes, males, I absolutely want them to compete. There is a mechanism for that. They can compete with the other male athletes. But to have male athletes competing against female athletes, it's not fair to the girls and young women that are competing in high school sports or K through 12 sports. And as I mentioned, who are uh, competing and uh, trying to uh, win scholarships. I want to be a voice. This debate is about contrast. My opponent has their opinion on that subject and I have uh, mine. Uh, but I'm letting you all know how I feel on the subject. Mrs. Hayes, last word on the subject, if you like it. Well, this debate is absolutely about contrast. And what I'll say is for all the people who have trouble identifying the contrast in this statement, replace trans with any other thing. Would, would you allow Polish athletes, black athletes, disabled athletes, replace it with any other term, and it would not be acceptable because that is discrimination. And discrimination against any group is unacceptable. Mrs. Hayes, we're going to start this next question with you. The U.S. Preventative Task Force recently recommended screening for anxiety for children ages 8 to 18. What would you do as a member of Congress to respond to the growing mental health crisis in children? Well, what have I done? I can tell you that. Last week, we voted on the Mental Health Matters Act, which included my legislation supporting trauma-informed instructional practices. Basically, what that does is, at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were advocating for funds, I introduced legislation to save education jobs. Because whenever school districts face a crisis or a financial shortage, the first people to go are the social workers, the school counselors, the behavior therapists, the nurses. All of those wrap around and support services. So I have fought for legislation and funding to make sure that we have available trauma-informed resources at the school level. Coming out of this pandemic, we really have no idea what the next few years will hold. So we have to be prepared and make sure that the services and the resources are available for children. Expanding things like telehealth, making sure that Medicare reimburses these things so that we can meet people where they are and address um, the anxiety and the mental health crisis that is impending, but not just talking about it. I fought for funding. Connecticut got a billion dollars in education funding, separate and apart from American Rescue Funds, with money earmarked and allocated for school resources for um, mental health services. That has to be a part of any conversation that we're having, and I've already fought for those funds and brought them back to the state, and will continue to do so as, as these funds run out to make sure that we are making the investments on the front end in things like this. Mr. Logan. Sure. One party Democrat control in Washington, you know, they have come up with an alphabet soup of programs to fix things. But it hasn't worked. My opponent 
has been in Congress now for just about four years. The situation still persists. Part of the issue is, is that the funding is not getting down to the level of truly helping the people who need it. I'm hearing throughout the district, mental health is an issue. We need to prioritize it, we need to focus on it, and we actually need to deliver. The Democrat leadership in Washington has not delivered when it comes to mental health for our young people or for our adults. My opponent has been there for four years, talks about programs, talks about how they're going to help, but they haven't. We've heard nothing but false promises from the Democrat leadership, particularly since the Biden-Harris administration came into power. And my opponent supports their initiatives 100%. We're going to hear over and over again on how they have the solutions, the answers to our problems. But everything that the Biden-Harris administration has touched has gone sideways, has been worse. Just about everyone in the 5th Congressional District is worse off than they were when my opponent first took office. Worse off than they were when President Biden and Vice President Harris took office. We need a change. One party rule is not working for the people of the 5th Congressional District. I want to go to Washington. I'm going to help to bring some checks and balances. I'm going to work hard with Democrats and Republicans to solve our common problems. We can do this, but one party control is not getting it done. We need true discussion. We need true negotiations. Talk through the ideas and get the support of the American people. Get the support in Congress to pass meaningful and effective laws. Mrs. Hayes. Four years. You know what else happened for four years? Mr. Logan was in the State Senate. You don't hear him talking anything about what he did in the State Senate because he did nothing. Four years he was in the State Senate. We have a system of federalism where the federal government, which is the body, the branch of government where I am a part of, sends money to the state level. And then state legislators decide how that money will be used. We departed from that in the American Rescue Plan because we fought really hard for local um, municipalities to be able to decide. But in four years, he did nothing on this issue. So to posit this as I've been in Congress and I've did nothing, Mr. Logan was in the state Senate as an elected official, could have addressed all of these issues in the exact same way. So he is presenting himself to the people of the 5th Congressional District as someone who has all these aspirational ideas. But to the people in his own district who knew him, who knew him and did not feel that he was doing a good job and voted him out, now he's presenting himself with all these new ideas. You know what I've done. You can check the record on what I've done. I would encourage you, I would encourage you to use that same information to look at where he stood on all of these things that we're talking about, to look at where he stood on education funding in the state, to look at where he stood on all of these issues that he now claims he's going to go to Congress to fix. The way that you know what I'm going to do as your member of Congress is not by the words that come out of my mouth. It is by the way that I voted. 
and I have talked to you and communicated with you, and I'm running a campaign telling people what I have done. It is curious that Mr. Logan is not mentioning anything about what he has done in the State Senate. Because if he had a record that he could be proud of, he would be standing up here much like I am doing and saying, this is what I voted for. This is what I've done. This is what I intend to do. If he had voted on these issues in a way that he was proud of, in a way that affected change and brought about meaningful progress, he would be up here shouting it from the rooftops. He is not, because he has not done anything. Mr. Logan, last chance at a reply for this topic. Sure. Thank you. First off, my opponent fails to acknowledge the obvious, that we have one party control here in Connecticut. Democrat, one party control in Washington as well. She has the majority in the House. The Democrats have the majority in the Senate. They have the White House. Nothing is getting done. Now, in terms of my time in the State Senate, you know, I know my opponent listens to the talking points of the Democrat State Party and the DCCC, but I am very proud of my time in the Connecticut State Senate. I won a Democrat district 22 years, consecutive years, 12 elections under Democrat control for my state Senate seat. I won that district, went to Hartford for my first term. We had a tie in the Senate. We passed some of the most consequential legislation in the modern recent, in the last 50 years for the state of Connecticut. We passed because we had a tie in the Senate and the Democrats were uh, forced to negotiate with us to pass a budget. We passed a bonding cap to limit the amount of borrowing that the state can do. We had runaway borrowing prior to that. We passed a spending cap so that the legislators couldn't just blow the budget, put restrictions on there to try to obtain some fiscal stability here in Connecticut, some financial stability. And we also included a volatility cap. And that volatility cap allowed us to pay down debt. So if we have a one-time influx of uh, revenue that the legislators wouldn't just uh, go out willy-nilly and start creating new pro programs and spending new money, had to pay down some of the debt, pension debt that we have. And right now, the state is sitting on a multi-billion dollar surplus because of my time in the state Senate, because we had the tie in the Senate. Now, when it comes to education, when it comes to mental health, particularly here in Connecticut, one party control hasn't gotten us anywhere. So now I'm hopeful to go to Washington to represent everyone in the 5th Congressional District, Republicans, Democrats. Look, I received the cross endorsement of the Independent Party of Connecticut. We have over 40% of our voters are unaffiliated with any party because they just want to see work, the work get done and I'm gonna work across the aisle in Washington. Hopefully, we'll be able to flip the House of Representatives. Again, I wanna bring better checks and balances. And in that scenario, I believe with my negotiating skills and willingness to work across the aisle, we'll be able to make some effective change, far beyond what my opponent has been able to do with one party control in Washington. Mr. Logan, what is your position on domestic programs? I'd like to respond. Sure, I'll give you an opportunity. Yes. Absolutely. 
I'll just say that when Mr. Logan left uh, the state Senate, the state was in a $3 billion deficit. We bought American Rescue Plan Act funds to the state to stabilize communities during a pandemic and recover afterwards. The state now has a $5 billion surplus as a result of many of those funds. So the legislation that he said he would have voted against is also the legislation that he's touting as part of his record. And to say that Democrats have done nothing under one party rule, if you consider the most significant investment in infrastructure, nothing, for our roads, our bridges, our highways, our broadbands, for clean water. If you consider uh, gun legislation, first time in 30 years as it's been passed, nothing, negotiating the cost of prescription drugs, paying down the debt that was ballooned into a $7 trillion debt under the previous administration. If you consider the most significant legislation passed since the Great Society, nothing. I think that's all people need to know. If you consider a $3 billion investment in climate mitigation strategies, nothing. If you consider capping insulin at $35 and requiring the largest corporations that have gotten a billion dollars in profits over the last year during a pandemic, making them pay 15% income tax for the first time, 15% tax rate, corporate tax rate for the first time. If you consider that nothing, then I don't understand what this role is about for you. Mr. Logan, you get another chance to reply. Sure, thank you. So let's start with the infrastructure bill in Washington for our roads and bridges. This is what I'm talking about in terms of the excessive spending that again is supported by my opponent. $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. Less than 25% of that $1.2 trillion actually went to infrastructure. Approximately 10% of this infrastructure bill actually went to roads and bridges. This is what I'm talking about. The Democrat leadership in Washington, they have excessive spending packages. And I'm telling you throughout the district, what I'm hearing from folks, all I'm hearing is that things are unaffordable. You know, I was in uh, uh, Torrington last, uh, last weekend, and I met a couple. And they said to me that you know, they voted for Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, twice. But they've had it with the, Democrat leadership, the current Democrat leadership now in Washington. Their 401k, their retirement plan, they lost $100,000 for stocks that they had in the stock market. This is what we're talking about. These excessive spending packages, wasteful spending, is affecting everyone in the district. And my opponent is just going to continue to blindly support those excessive spending packages. I want to, I want to interrupt you guys because we were talking about children and now we're, we're, we're getting a little too far into spending because I was hearing about uh, domestic programs, so now I feel like I can step in and ask about that. What's your position on domestic programs such as uh, Medicare and Social Security? If you win this election, will you try to augment or will you try to support cuts uh, to the programs? We need to make those programs as, as strong as possible. Uh, but I am convinced that the best way that we can do that as a nation is to have a strong economy. We must have a strong, vibrant economy. And right now, we don't have that. Here in Connecticut, our economy is shrinking. Last quarter, shrank by 5%. Um, uh, personal income growth, personal income growth in Connecticut 
the lowest in the nation. We need a change. I support programs to help folks that need a helping hand, Social Security, Medicaid. But right now, under Democrat control, health care costs are unaffordable. Our Social Security program is, 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 is hurting. We need to strengthen our economy. We do that, it'll fix a lot of things. These excessive spending packages are not doing the trick, and the Democrat leadership is just going to do more of the same. It's going to result in higher taxes, more inflation, things will be less affordable, and the families, our seniors and our veterans in the 5th Congressional District are going to continue to suffer under the current Democrat leadership in Washington. Mrs. Hayes. There's a reason he didn't answer that question because he doesn't want to say that Republican leadership is committed to ending Social Security. They want to sunset it. That means they want to end it as a mandatory program. They want seniors to have to vote every, they want the Congress to have to vote every year on whether or not Social Security is funded. Social Security is not excessive spending. It is insurance that people have paid into. I am on legislation to not only solidify and stabilize Social Security, but expand benefits. We seniors recently just saw the first increase in Social Security that they've seen in 40 years. They haven't been getting a cost of living. Their Medicare premiums have been going up. Social Security benefits went up. Medicare premiums did not. Republicans have a plan on the table to raise the age and make it so that people cannot collect after the age of 90. But it's not just Social Security. They've lumped in veterans' benefits as entitlements. These are not entitlements. My job in this role is to legislate for people. If we cannot agree that seniors who have paid into this program should be able to pull from it as part of their retirement, that people have planned uh, where they're going to live and how they're going to live in, in retirement based on their Social Security, I'm going to protect Social Security. Kevin McCarthy, just this week, is already kind of sounding the alarm that he is going to hold the debt ceiling hostage in order to negotiate a vote or to force a vote on Social Security. So while I represent the 5th Congressional District and my concerns are local, my job is to weigh in for the people of this district on national concerns. So you cannot ignore what is happening nationally. Social Security is in jeopardy. They have already indicated that the program will end. We are trying to lower the cost of prescription drugs, trying to make things more affordable for our seniors. The only indicator of our communities cannot be just the stock market. I know a whole lot of people in this district that don't own stocks. I know a whole lot of people that don't make decisions based on the stocks. They're just trying to get by. And most seniors fall into that category. So to your question, not only will I work to protect Social Security, I will work to strengthen and expand it. Would you like to respond, Mr. Logan? Absolutely. You know, and uh, there they go again. A Democrat putting me in that box. I just indicated that I will do everything I can to shore up Social Security. We just have a, a difference of opinion on how to go about doing that. I am not going to Washington to satisfy any party leadership. I want to represent the people of the 5th Congressional District. I am not interested in sunsetting the benefit of Social Security. And again, I will be in the House of Representatives should I earn your vote. I will fight hard to maintain Social Security from the inside. 
There's nothing wrong with having a Republican on the inside fighting for the people of the 5th District, Congressional District. I will do that, regardless of whether I'm on the House floor or if I'm in a, a House chamber or if I'm in a committee with Republicans, Democrats, or just Republicans, just as I did when I was in the State Senate. Now, when it comes to prescription drugs, yes, of course, prescription drugs are too high. Too high under the Democrat leadership in Washington. Talks about a recent bill, you know, during the uh, election season that passed, supposedly is going to lower prescription drug costs. Why didn't they do it before? I'm skeptical that it'll actually even work. We need real solutions in Washington. We need to stop believing the Democrat leadership and their false promises that has gotten us in a worse condition than we were before the Biden-Harris administration came into power and before my opponent came into power. We can change this. We can go in a different direction, but we're just going to get more of the same. Higher inflation, higher taxes, less services, parents frustrated about how what their kids are being taught in school, higher gas prices. Doesn't have to be that way. We can make the change. I ask for your vote so that I can go down to Washington, bring some sensibility, work across the aisle, and move our country in a different direction. Mrs. Hayes, you get the last response on this topic. So why didn't we do something about prescription drugs before? Because every Republican voted against it. So this idea that one person is going to move the needle or change the way things happen. That is not what happens. In the legislative branch, there are 435 members of Congress. You have to get a majority. So one person in a Republican majority that does not believe that we should be lowering the cost of prescription drugs or there should be all of these nuances in the way that it should be done. We have tried at every turn. We tried in Build Back Better. We tried to negotiate for months when this bill went to the floor, right now, Medicare will negotiate the cost of prescription drugs and there's a $35 cap on insulin, but only for Medicare. And you know why that is? Because Republicans voted against it. Senate Republicans said that they did not want private insurers to be able to do the same. So all of those children with type 1 diabetes and all of those parents who are paying exorbitant amounts of money for prescription for uh, insulin, we tried to get that pass, and they blocked it. So make no mistake about it. One person working from the inside is not going to change that. You need a majority of people who are aligned, who are aligned with the value and the belief that we need to step in so that large uh, drug companies are not taking advantage of people on medications that have not changed in a hundred years, on medications that you can get in other countries for a quarter of the price, sometimes a, a tenth of the price. This ha is an industry that has gone awry, and people are at the mercy of prescription drug companies because if your child is sick, you're going to pay whatever you have to pay for them to get treatment and care. So to that question, why didn't we do it? We've been trying. We've been trying to do it. So you know how we can deliver on expanding the list of medications? is to deliver a majority that believes that people deserve that. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare.
Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash elevating health. Mrs. Hayes? Yes. Americans in 2022 have felt pain at the pump and at the grocery store checkout counter. While the rate of inflation has uh, steadied in recent months, it's up significantly from two years ago. So I want to ask you, what do you think the federal government can do about the costs of goods and services? So um, inflation is a serious issue. It is something that everyone in this district is concerned about. It is something I hear from constituents everywhere I go and everywhere, everyone that I talk to. Um, we are coming out of a global pandemic. There's a war in Ukraine that is affecting the prices at the pump and um, just recovery. What can the federal government do? So the president has released some oil from the strategic oil reserves to try to ease pressure at the pump. When we talk about home heating costs in Congress, we just voted literally, I brought back to this district $20 million in LIHEAP funding to help people with their um, energy bills. As far as food, increasing competition. I am the chairwoman of the subcommittee on nutrition and making sure that we have markets for local farmers to engage in communities. Just really thinking of all of the things that we can do. But when we talk about inflation, there's a couple other things that I want people to consider. We had a child tax credit where every family who had children was getting $300 a month per child in advanced tax payments. Republicans voted against that. If families had that money in their pocket right now, that would ease some of the pressures of inflation. When you talk about home heating costs, I, I just I know I was a single mom, and people's the majority of people's bills are their rent, their groceries, their utilities. When Mr. Logan was in the state senate, he abstained from every vote on energy oh except for one that was right before election, energy regulation on lowering rates on lowering costs. He abstained not because he had to, but because he is employed by someone whose parent company is Eversource, and they would have been disproportionately impacted by these votes. So when you talk about what people will do, I, I ask you to also consider what people have done when they had the opportunity. He had the opportunity right now while people are seeing a rate hike to say, to, to weigh in on a vote like that, and he did not. So I will continue not just to bring down the cost, to, to fight to bring down the cost at the pump and some of the, the um, high costs that people are experiencing, but also to raise the minimum wage, to make sure people have safe and affordable housing. He voted against the minimum wage. If you don't think that people deserve to have um, money in their pocket to be able to pay their bills, then you can't in the same token say the cost of everything is too high. Mr. Logan, would you like a chance to reply? Thank you. My opponent has stated that she believes 
that the Democrat Party has single-handedly saved the economy. Well, I've spoken to folks throughout our district repeatedly, whether I'm in Waterbury or Danbury or Torrington or Meriden, and we are all in a worse condition. Economically, gas prices at an all-time high, the Biden-Harris administration, in the first week, they killed the XL pipeline. They've been attacking the notion of achieving American energy independence. I want to go to Washington to be a voice of reason, to try to move towards true energy, American energy independence. Right now, we're heading into the winter months. I have families that are petrified on how they're going to be able to pay for the high home fuel costs. The Democrat leadership in Washington has no answers to that. When you take a, a look at my opponent who talks about Republicans blocking this and Republicans blocking that, they have the majority in the House. They have the majority in the Senate. The president and vice president are Democrats. They are not doing their job for the American people. They continue with these false promises. You talk about prescription drugs. She talks about build back better. What is lowering prescription costs doing in a, whether it's build back better or an infrastructure bill? I want to focus on bills, bring them to Congress that are focused on the item at hand and give it its, its due course in Congress. Healthcare costs are unaffordable in the district. That is the fact under Democrat control. Fuel oil costs are unaffordable in our district under Democrat control. Groceries, for many, unaffordable. They don't have the answers. Now, my time in the Connecticut State Senate, you know, this is a, um, uh, a citizen's government we have here in uh, Connecticut. We have folks from all different walks of life. Well, first of all, the state Senate does not set utility rates. Connecticut Pura does. I abstain from certain votes out of an abundance of, of caution because that's what more legislators should do if they're involved in that particular industry. I've worked for a water company since 1992. I am proud of the work that I've done at the water company. I have actually built infrastructure as opposed to my opponent talking about doing it. Water, natural resource. I have built infrastructure throughout the 5th Congressional District. Brookfield, New Fairfield, Litchfield, Kent, uh, Torrington, and more. The last 30 years at the water company. Water conservation, huge. I have joined, volunteered to join, the Housatonic Valley Association Board of Directors. I've been on there for several years. Worked my way up to vice president of that volunteer board because natural resources are very important to me. Our natural environment is very important to me. Look, we're going to keep hearing the excuses from my opponent as to why you, the voter, should give her another chance to disappoint you. I'm telling you, I am ready to go. I'm ready to hit the ground running. I will work tireless for you, just as I have when I was in the state Senate, just as I have since I first announced in July of last year. I'm willing to work with everyone in Congress. My opponent 
can't say the same. So he does not work across the aisle, regardless of what he says. You cannot vote 100% in line with Nancy Pelosi and then tell me you work in a bipartisan fashion. I will do the work, given the opportunity. Mrs. Hayes, you get the first rebuttal on this topic. I'm going to need some time, Frankie. That was a whole lot to unpack here. Um, so a couple things. There's a reason why <laughs> Mr. Logan and national Republicans have hung their hat on one statement. Democrats single-handedly saved the economy. Yes, I said that. They have created nine ads, nine, from one sentence taken out of context. If I've been here for four years and I'm so horribly bad, they would have had a whole lot of material, not a half of sentence taken out of context. So let me explain to the people here what I meant when I said that. I was talking about the American Rescue Plan. At a time when a million people had died, a time when businesses were shuttered, when hospitals were saying they needed help, when mayors and four selectmen at all 41 towns in this district were reaching out to my office, Congresswoman, we need help for our, for our first responders, for our police and firefighters. We need help to reopen our schools safely. We need the resources. When libraries and entertainment venues were saying, we don't know what we're going to do. When businesses were saying, we need small business loans in order to keep our doors open. We need help. You tell me who you would have left behind in that situation. Because for me, the answer was no one. So when people needed help, as their congresswoman, I delivered legislation to help all of these communities, but not just lip service, the resources to allow local communities to do that work. And we did that without a single Republican vote. So I don't know if the people in their districts weren't hurting. I don't know if people in their districts weren't dying. I don't know if businesses in their districts weren't having problems, but here in the fifth, people needed help. And at that moment, when I cast that vote, we stabilized the economy. So if you want to take that one half a sentence on the road and apply it in multiple different situations, I ask you, what would you have done? Because in that moment, when I took that vote, Democrats saved the economy. Not a single Republican voted on that. The other thing I'm going to say to you, what does Build Back Better have to do with any of these things? It has everything to do with everything we're talking about. Because that legislation was legislation that acknowledged the problems that we experienced during the pandemic and said, as a government, we have to legislate differently. We have to make sure that all of these gaps that we saw in our communities, all of the places where schools didn't have internet, where people didn't have access to care, we have to make sure that all of those things are taken care of. So it has everything to do with it. The last thing I'll say is, you hear a lot about statistics of how often I voted with Nancy Pelosi. You need to know at the federal level, Nancy Pelosi does not vote on every vote. That's just not how it votes. So as the speaker, she votes on big packages. So I did vote with Nancy Pelosi on things like the American Rescue Plan, on things like the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act, on the gun legislation that we passed. I voted with Nancy Pelosi on those things. But I'm hearing the same things that you're all hearing. So I wanted to fact check myself. And I reached out to see what percentage of time that I actually vote with Nancy Pelosi on the 900 votes I took in the 117th Congress. 14. 14% of the time I voted with Nancy Pelosi. So you can check that. 2020 Senate record, you can also check that Mr. Logan, Mr. Work Across the Aisle in a bipartisan fashion, 100% of the times 
100% of the votes that he took were in line with Senate Republicans. So if you really want to understand the information and digest it, just check the facts. Just check the facts. Last reply on this topic, Mr. Logan. So it is absolutely laughable for my opponent to get up here and say that she's only voted in line with Nancy Pelosi 14% of the time. She has supported every program, every initiative that came out from the speaker. Sure, it's the votes, but it's every single program she has voted in favor of. Whether Nancy Pelosi was on the voting roll or not, it was her programs. My opponent supported it. Now, when you, now she's comparing apples to oranges here. She's comparing Congress to the Connecticut State Senate. There's 36 state senators. We work on a, uh, when I was in the Senate, on a much more bipartisan basis than we are in Congress. It's not as polarized. 84% of all the votes when I was in, Cong in the state Senate were bipartisan, 84%. Where we had differences with my Democrat colleagues, mainly the majority had to do around fiscal matters, financial stability. And once we had that tie in the Senate, we were able to do some good things in terms of stabilizing Connecticut's um, economy, in terms of experiencing the surplus that we have now. And I tell you this, my opponent earlier said, what can one congressperson do in Washington? She sets a very low bar for the position. You know, we are already making history with this campaign. We have the attention of the Democrat leadership. We have my campaign, we have the attention of the House Republican leadership. Because one person can make a difference. And I gave an example when I was in the state Senate. One person, freshman, state senator. But because I won that district, we had that tie in the Senate. And we were able to do things, accomplish things. When we had folks working on the financial stability issues closer than they ever have before. I want to go to Washington. I have high hopes and I have high expectations. I believe that I will do a much better job than my opponent. Now look, my opponent earlier described something to the effect that I'm trying to vilify. I want to make sure that everyone's clear. I do not believe my opponent is a bad person. I just do not agree with her politics. I do not agree with her decisions in Washington to back the Biden-Harris agenda. I don't agree with my opponent to back the policies, votes of Nancy Pelosi. I just don't believe that it has worked. We need to go in a different direction. I believe this is an opportunity for us. I am so excited to do everything I can between now and November 8th to earn your vote, and I will work tirelessly for you. I'm sensing some uh, tension on this topic, so would you guys like one more rebuttal on each one? Ms. Hayes, you can go first. No maybe. tension at all. I'm, only, I'm not comparing apples to oranges. I'm comparing votes to votes. And these are the things that I voted for, and in the Connecticut State Senate, that's the job of a senator, to vote on these matters. When you talk about fiscal matters, fiscal matters is Congress makes the laws. We also appropriate funds. So fiscal matters has something to do with everything that we do. When Mr. Logan was in the Connecticut State Senate, he voted against family medical leave. 
He voted against raising the minimum wage. He voted against funding for um, Connecticut State Police and hazards pay. When we talk about fiscal matters, those are fiscal matters. And he's right. He is absolutely right. He has the attention of national Republican leadership, more so than even the attention of the people in this district. There is a reason why they are putting millions of dollars into an, a campaign behind a candidate. And that reason is not because he will be an independent voice and weigh in on the people of the state of Connecticut. From the outset, they have put millions of dollars into this race. There's a reason for that. I am, I have no, I don't know Mr. Logan as a person, so I can't comment on him personally. But what I do know is that since this campaign started, there has been mudslinging and coming out, tweets at me every day, has all of these things to say, if this was about the issues, then let's keep it about the issues. The people in this district know what I have done. I was on the receiving end of much of the aid and much of the legislation that came out, that came from all levels of government my entire life. I have a different sense of responsibility to legislate for the people who will never have a voice in these rooms, for the people who are always left out at these tables. I have a different sense of responsibility for that. So yes, we have different ideas about how these things are going to get done, and my ideas are centered in the people and the families and my neighbors and my friends and all of the people in this district who at some point in my life I identified with. So yes, we absolutely disagree on the way these things should be done. Mr. Logan, last word on this topic. Sure. Um, so in terms of my record in the state Senate, again, the vast majority of the bills that I voted for were bipartisan in the state uh, Senate. She mentions uh, paid family medical leave, said I voted against paid family medical leave. You know, I actually voted against the Democrat version of paid family medical leave. There was two versions. There was the Democrat version, there was an Amendment A, and the Republican version, Amendment B. The Democrat version of paid family medical leave included a tax, half percent of everyone's pay in the state of Connecticut. The version that I supported, people would opt into paid family medical leave, but they thought it was important to them. Again, choice. I'm about offering choice. I am in favor of paid family medical leave. I just was not in favor of the version that was presented by the Democrats. Now, again, when we look at Washington, we look at the 5th Congressional District, the people are hurting in the district. Things are too expensive. Folks feel backed out of their child's education. And what about the opioid epidemic? I mean, there's, you know, time is winding down here. We need to talk about that. You know, we need to secure our southern borders. We need to control the inflow of fentanyl. My opponent hasn't said a word about it. I want to focus on issues that are important to the people of the 5th Congressional District. And the opioid epidemic is high on the list. Why hasn't my opponent done more to be a voice for us regarding the southern border. Why does she bring the Vice President of the United States of America here and not ask her, what's the plan to secure our southern borders? What's the plan to tackle inflation? 
I didn't ask about the opioid epidemic, but he did say is something. Is there I'll no give, inflation? Uh, uh, is there no opioid epidemic in the third district? I'll give you an opportunity to answer that. I just want to remind our audience, if they can, to just hold their applause or refrain from making any noises if they can until after the debate. Uh, he did ask you about fentanyl and opioids, so I, I just want to give you a chance to, to, to respond to that. Well, the idea that I've been silent is just completely false. We have invested money into drug treatment programs into making sure that there is there are wraparound services that we expand um, Medicaid to pay for those services. We have 14 billion dollars in the last appropriations package to harden our ports and our borders. But this idea that the only way to address the opioid crisis is to criminalize people and to add more police officers is flawed. And we already know how that ends. Like I said, Tuesday night, I've been around long enough to remember the 1994 crime bill where communities were decimated and the only response to crack cocaine was putting people in jail. People did not receive treatments, families did not receive care. There has to be a wraparound approach. The funding that we just voted for and um, the, the Justice Act includes support services for law enforcement, but also for uh, mental health, for treatment, for addiction. I've brought money back to the district for community health uh, programs and all of those things that I recognize. I don't know what Mr. Logan means by I've been silent. Just because I don't put out a press release every four hours on Twitter doesn't mean I've been silent. I have been not only working to address this issue, but understanding the impact it has on families. My entire community, my family, decimated by addiction. Don't tell me I don't know or I'm not responding or I don't care about it. I just recognize that we also have to look at this from a health care perspective, not just a criminal justice perspective. Mr. Logan, I want to ask you a different question here. I want to ask you, and some of the folks here might have driven through Waterbury and the Mixmaster to get here tonight, <laughs> and uh, some people might take the train to go to Manhattan. I just want to know what your views uh, are regarding the commute of people living in your district and how you aim to support the critical infrastructure. I'm going to go to you first on this one. Sure. sure. Well, one, when it comes to uh, infrastructure, we need to uh, make sure uh, that we fund transportation infrastructure here in Connecticut. I mentioned earlier the infrastructure bill, $1.2 trillion, only 10% of that went to roads and bridges. We need to prioritize and focus on it. Now, I want to go back to the opioid epidemic because that's a big one. Can you stick to the, Well, I just answered the question. The train. That was his answer. Sure. <laughs> so I just, uh, look, it's a can big you topic. Stick, can you stick to the, uh, the, the uh, we're talking about infrastructure. I'm losing my mind here yeah. today. Can you, can you stick to infrastructure for now? Sure. So I answered the, answer answer the infrastructure question. Yeah. I do I support uh, transportation infrastructure. We need to do it in a real fashion. The Democrat leadership in Washington has failed us. They passed an infrastructure bill, $1.2 trillion. 10% of that went to roads and bridges. They shoved all kinds of other stuff in there. We need to focus on the issues at hand. That is the problem with the current Democrat leadership in Washington. We got taxed more than we fixed the roads and bridges. If you're gonna have an infrastructure bill, fix the infrastructure. Focus on it. I just don't believe that the Democrat leadership in Washington, they just don't have the ability to bring up, bring up a clean bill and handle the topic at hand. They have the majority in the House and the Senate. They can't get things done other than taxing hardworking families 
making things more expensive. I want to go to Washington. We need to focus our efforts. We need to stop wasteful spending on, in these bills. Make sure that the funds are being used for their intended purpose. That is not happening right now. And that is partly why we are in the situation that we are now. Mrs. Hayes, transportation and infrastructure. The way you address infrastructure is that you fund infrastructure. Every president talked about getting an infrastructure bill passed. Under Democrat leadership, with the slimmest of majorities, we were able to get that passed. $5 billion back to the state of Connecticut to address infrastructure. Infrastructure is more than just roads and bridges. This is not a 1950s or a 19th century westward expansion infrastructure. This is modern day infrastructure, which means that we have to address our ports, our airports, our broadband. When we talk about the economy and how people engage and exchange, you cannot do that without broadband. In this district, in the northwest corner, there are places that have zero access. There are places where schools could not get online during the pandemic. There are places where people could not access telehealth services. That is infrastructure. In the United States of America, in 2022, water is part of infrastructure. The fact that in Flint, Michigan, so many years after all of those children were poisoned by lead water pipes, that has not been addressed. In this district, I have cities, Waterbury, New Britain, Danbury, Torrington, with 100-year-old water and sewer pipes. If we can't agree that that's part of infrastructure and something that should be taken off of the plate of municipalities and at least supported by the federal government, if we can't believe that, I mean, if we can't agree that uh, building charging stations and literally expanding our grid is a part of infrastructure, that is part of the problem. We have so many people who are trying to legislate in a 1950s way for the traditional nuclear family where everyone walks to work and walks to school and live in this nuclear community. That is not our world and that is not our communities. It will bring jobs back, it will help uh, businesses, it will help people get back and forth through the state, uh, take trains and expand um, the, the Northeast Corridor. All of that is infrastructure. So there's a reason that 10% of the money went to roads and bridges, because roads and bridges are not exclusively infrastructure. The people who live in this district and go over the Mixmaster and have to commute and go to the northwest corner and are offline for hours understand the critical need for infrastructure and why we have to have investment and support in all of those things. Mr. Logan, first rebuttal. Yes, thank you. Uh, yes, things like broadband are important. Things like telehealth are important. I supported those efforts in the state Senate. Uh, but when we're talking about, uh, the question was about uh, the commute that people in the district have to experience. I hear over and over again, the conditions of our roads and bridges is a major issue. All I'm saying is, if you have a, an infrastructure bill, I would have negotiated more than 10% to go to roads and bridges. They are very important for the people that are commuting every day. Give me 30% of 1.2 trillion, make it you know, half a trillion dollars, but 10% is just not adequate. And again, it's about the decisions that are made by the Democrat leadership supported by my opponent. We need to bring some uh, sensibility in these bills that we're bringing. We need to make sure that they are actually accomplishing the intended result, and right now, that infrastructure bill, as far as helping the people in the 5th Congressional District in a more significant way, could have been better. I'm going to go to Washington. 
refocus on it, because obviously that 10% mark is okay with my opponent. It's not enough. We need to make sure that we focus on our roads and bridges more than we are now. Having a title of a bill called the infrastructure bill and then saying, hey, job done. I did my job. No, it's not adequate. It was poorly written, poorly conceived. Not enough funding. We need to do more. The people in the 5th Congressional District expect that we go to Washington as congressmen and women and we focus on the things that they consider most important. All right, so I just don't think 10% of roads and bridges is enough in that particular bill, as an example. I got one last question. Before I get there, you get, the, you get your last uh, reply. But, yeah. So you would have tried to get 30, but if you couldn't get it, you would have voted no? That's not how the bipartisan cooperation you're talking about works. But also, this infrastructure bill, the $5 billion that the state of Connecticut will get over the next five years, will bring so many good-paying union jobs back to our community. It will put people to work. It will expand access to the economy. It will speed up transportation, cut the amount of time it takes for people to travel on the train. This is what the people in this district have been asking for. When I was elected in 2018, one of the things that was President Trump's top priority agenda item was infrastructure. It was one of the things everybody said they were going to get done. So now is it no longer a priority because Joe Biden is the president? The people in this district, the, the Department of Transportation, the governor, everyone, the state legislature, everyone was asking for relief on infrastructure, and I've delivered that to this district. Mrs. Hayes, last question of the night. Many of the people in this congressional district are still reeling from a shooting that happened 10 years ago uh, this December, Sandy Hook school shooting. The Bipartisan Safer Communities Act was recently enacted to address gun violence. Still, it continues to happen, as we saw last week in, in Bristol with the ambush of two police officers. State investigators say the victims of that shooting encountered more than 80 rounds of gunfire. Would you support new federal gun legislation, like uh, an assault weapons ban, for example? Yes, I would. I was in the classroom right after that shooting happened and kids were asking me, Miss, why is this happening? And I didn't have a reasonable answer for them. I introduced legislation to even just identify what qualifies as a school shooting and Republicans voted no. This idea of doing nothing, and I, I'm running out of time, but I absolutely would support that. It is something that we need, that the people in this district and the state need. It is something we have to do to keep our community safe. And it is in no way an infringement on people's Second Amendment rights. Responsible gun owners know that there is responsibility that comes with that. So universal background checks, all of those things should be a part of owning a firearm. Mr. Logan voted against safe storage in cars, and that is something that the people in this district should know about and use as a part of their consideration when they're deciding who to vote for on November 8th. Mr. Logan, your reply. Sure. Gun violence is a problem. We need to first address the violence issue that's going on. And that includes supporting our law enforcement. Our law enforcement, the ranks are depleted. We're down 400 state troopers. I've spoken to police chiefs throughout the district. The forces are depleted. And what do we have? My opponent voted in favor of the anti-police bill in Washington. My opponent here in Connecticut has accepted 
the endorsement of the Connecticut Working Families Party, who one of their top objectives is to defund the police. We need to, we need to support our law enforcement. We need to give them the resources that they need to do their jobs. We're asking them to do an impossible job. And it is important that we are steadfast. So to accept the endorsement of the Working Families Party, she's going to be on the, on the ballot under the Working Families Party. Look it up yourself. They have called repeatedly for defunding the police. She has indicated that she's happy of their endorsement. I think she used the word proud for an organization where they have such shared values. What values is she talking about? I am the only one on this stage who is unwavering in my support of law enforcement and in my support of our community. We can get this done. We've got to work together. Now look, we need to handle the situation of the illegal guns in our communities. We need to be tougher on criminals, particularly those repeat offenders. And she talks about my record in the Senate, you know, again, uh, going, falling in line with the, uh, uh, the Democrat leadership here in Connecticut and, and in Washington. I voted for Ethan's law in terms of safe storage in the home. I voted for ghost, am I okay? I voted for ghost uh, guns. About 10, 15 but, seconds. Right. But when it comes to someone having a, a, their property in their vehicle, on their property, and someone breaks into their car, steals their property, and then the property owner gets a criminal record, that's what I had a problem with. We have some of the strictest gun laws in the nation. We need more resources, more police officers to enforce those laws. Both candidates tonight have uh, prepared a two-minute closing statement, and we're going to get to that. And because of the way the coin flip worked out, uh, Mrs. Hayes goes first, and then you'll get the last word. You'll get your uh, two minutes after that. Mrs. Hayes, your closing statement, please. Well, thank you so much for having us here tonight and for um, hosting this debate. I am asking people to vote for me and send me back to Congress because I have done the work. I've used my lived experiences and all the things that I know about this district to advocate and legislate for people in all of those positions. On November 8th, you're going to find me on the ballot on two lines. One of those lines is the Working Families line, the Working Families Party line. It is a party that believes in raising the minimum wage, in health care, in child care for children, in the values that families believe in. They understand my position on police. So I guess I'm just not a typical Working Families Party candidate. I guess I just don't fit in their box. But what I, what I will do when I go back to Washington is to make sure that I am legislating for the needs of all of the people in this district just like I've done. Fighting to expand the child tax credit. Making sure that no person goes to bed hungry. No veteran, no service member, no senior goes to bed hungry. Making sure that we expand that list of drugs that are negotiated so that we can lower the cost. Making sure that we once and for all codify the language of Roe into federal law so we are not left to the whims of a court or an administration. Making sure that we protect Social Security and expand it. Making sure that the infrastructure dollars and the education funding that came back to the state is used for the benefit of people. Making sure that we are putting people over politics. I am going back to Congress to be the legislator that I needed for myself as a young girl, to ask the questions that I hoped that someone was asking for me. And people know that I'm going to do that because they know what I've already done. 
People know how I've delivered for this district. They know that I have been a voice and stood up and fought for the most marginalized communities, for everyone. I'm not leaving any of you behind when I go back to Congress. Mr. Logan, your closing statement, please. Thank you. I look forward to meeting as many of you voters out there between now and November 8th. I ask that you see my record, look what I've done during this campaign. I want to continue to work hard and do everything I can to earn your vote on November 8th. And I will work tirelessly for you. And I will focus on issues of affordability. I will focus on issues of relief for the high gas and oil prices. I will focus on safe communities. That's what I'm hearing in the district. People are looking for safe communities. There's communities to be safer. I will work towards making sure that education dollars get down to the students that need it. Work hard to do what I can to help improve the terrible scores that we're seeing, particularly in our urban areas, for reading comprehension. Focus on reading, math, science. You know, I'm the son of immigrants. My parents immigrated to Connecticut from Guatemala, and they stressed to me the, the meaning of uh, hard work and, you know, how to, how to stretch a dollar. And I plan on bringing that type of work ethic to Washington. You know, when we take a look at what this country can be, it is up to each and every one of us to make decisions in terms of who represents us in Washington. And I would just argue that my opponent has had four years to buck the system down there, to be a voice for the people of the 5th Congressional District. And she has chosen not to do that. I will go to Washington. I will buck the system in terms of not going there simply to represent the leaders in Washington. I will represent the people of the 5th Congressional District. Thank you very much, uh, host, for that. And I hope I win your vote. Thank you to 5th Congressional District candidates, Ms. Johanna Hayes and Mr. George Logan. For debating the issues tonight on Connecticut Public, please hold your applause. And, and thank you to the League of Women Voters of Connecticut for your collaboration in informing local voters this election season. I got, I got one, more, one more thing to say. If you could hold your applause just for one moment, guys, just for one moment. Uh, thank you guys so much for doing this, and thank you to the League of Women Voters of Connecticut uh, for helping us in this debate, our final in this series. It's the final debate in our series, as I mentioned, but don't change the channel just yet. Lucy Nalpathanchel is here. She is the host of Where We Live on Connecticut Public, and she's going to talk to representatives of each of the candidates here tonight. And then I'll be joined by Christine Stewart of CT News Junkie and CT Insider's Dan Har. We'll provide analysis of tonight's debate. Thank you guys for watching and stay tuned to Connecticut Public.
And thank you for watching this debate here at the Torp Theater at Central Connecticut State University. I'm Lucy Malpathanchel, host of Where We Live. Frankie Graziano did a great job. We want to hear next the representatives from each campaign. Joining us first is Liz Karanowitz, who is the general consultant to the George Logan campaign. Hi, Lucy. So good so to good. see you. So good Let's to see you. Make sure you look right Absolutely. at the camera so our viewers at home uh, can see you as well. So we heard a lot from this debate on a number of issues. In your mind, what did you hear tonight that's going to bring voters to the polls? Look, I think when you, particularly when you're looking at the polling, the issue that's driving decision making is truly the economy. I think particularly as we're heading into a recession, record high inflation, uh, you know, we saw gas prices rebound for a little bit and now they're on the rise again. Food prices are on the rise again. Food insecurity is uh, uh, sadly on the rise. And I think that seems to be what is driving folks to the polls. And I know that's what George is hearing when he's out knocking doors and at events throughout the district, talking to people, what's most concerning to them. And I think that's what we heard tonight, a lot of differences in how do we, whether we acknowledge there's a problem and how do we fix it. Uh, both candidates said that this is a debate in contrast. Uh, There's an interesting moment when uh, Mrs. Hayes uh, pointed out that despite uh, Mr. Logan's uh, tenure in the General Assembly, that his record, there's nothing to, to show for. I'm wondering if you can um, remark about that moment. Well, I think it, it's, a, it's an interesting comment, was particularly when you look at what George said, right? I mean. Uh, Governor Lamont is running a, uh, I don't know at this point, what, $16 million campaign uh, touting <laughs> the benefits of the uh, budget that George was instrumental in passing. Uh, and so clearly uh, Governor Lamont thinks that it was an important piece of legislation. Uh, I think the the rest of the uh, folks in, in his party should agree with him. So um, the impact of uh, George in the Senate, particularly on that issue, we have a surplus. The, they weren't able Able to take those dollars and waste them because uh, of George and his participation in the in the Senate and making uh, those fiscal stability changes. So I think it's important to acknowledge when someone has done something well, uh, and and I think to uh, diminish uh, George's role in that was unfair to the voters. Liz Moranowitz, so good to see you. Thank so you so much. So to see you. Thank you so much, right. Lucy. Take care, Liz. Uh, joining us now is the representative for uh, Mrs. Hayes' campaign, Roberto Alves, uh, who uh, holds uh, different positions within the Democratic Party, including the Democratic uh, Town Committee in Danbury, as well as the State Democratic Party. So first of all, uh, what are your thoughts uh, on, um, again, Mrs. Hayes' points today, and when we think about Election Day, what are the issues that are going to bring voters to, out to the polls? Yeah, I, I think uh, Congresswoman Hayes showed again why she is the strongest candidate now, why experience matters. Congresswoman Hayes showed again today how she's unequivocally pro-gun safety, unequivocally pro um, going to defend Roe v. Wade, unequivocally pro-people, unequivocally pro-this district. She was calm, collective. She has a record. She has a resume that she can stand for. And then when we look on the other side at her opponent, we see somebody with the record as well. I found it very interesting at the end of the debate when we have uh, Mr. Logan here talking about how much he values law enforcement. And But again, there's resumes here. We have a record to go back on. And Mr. Logan, and like many of the Republicans that he you know represents, and he, he is one of them right now, talks about how much they support law enforcement. But when push comes to shove and the time to actually show that you support them comes up, 
they hide. They fail miserably at it. He has a record. He did not he did not vote in favor of giving our Connecticut State Police raises. He did not vote in favor of increasing hazard pay for them. So you want to talk about recruiting tool. In this economy, give people more money, give them a safer environment to go to work, I promise you, you'll help recruit. So you voted against that. So don't tell us you're somebody who's pro-law enforcement. Then now we look at the contrast with Congresswoman Hayes, who again, I talked about unequivocally before, unequivocally pro-law enforcement, somebody who knows what it's like to kiss her husband goodbye in the morning before they put on that badge. And Roberta Elvis, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to get some more uh, post-debate analysis with Frankie Graziano. Thank you so much. And thank you, Lucy. And uh, anybody that's in attendance now, I'd like you to please give a look to Lucy and, and give her a word of congratulations, first of all, for showing up tonight and helping us, and for the well-deserved promotion that she just recently got at Connecticut Public. Lucy Nalpathangel, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy. Joining me tonight on the stage, Christine Stewart, Editor-in-Chief at ctnewsjunkie.com and ctinsider.com, the uh, Associate Editor and Columnist for Hearst uh, Connecticut Media, Dan Har. I just wanted to ask you guys, uh, I, I, got, I, was, I had a front row seat to this, I didn't get to really talk to you guys too much about this, but these kind of debates, do you think that this is an opportunity here for anybody that was in attendance or anybody watching at home? Maybe their opinion might have been swayed here at the last minute. Do you think that there was an opportunity for that? Um, there probably wasn't an opportunity for that. I feel like, you know, people who attend these debates usually have their minds made up or they support one candidate uh, over the other and that's why they're attending these debates. And so research has actually shown that um, debates, even the televised presidential debates, don't really sway voters. Voters who are watching them have already made up their minds. I would slightly disagree in the sense that the question is, was there an opportunity? There are very few people. So I think there was an opportunity, but I agree with Christine that there are very few people who are out in the audience and the lines are so clearly drawn because both candidates are mainstream within their parties and the dispute here is mostly between the parties rather than the individuals. I think you could tell uh, how politicized it might have been uh, when I was trying to get my last words. <laughs> a lot of hooting and hollering behind me, but no, I, I want to take a look at the br breakdown now in voters in Connecticut. We have something like 900,000 unaffiliated voters and 800,000 Democrats, registered Democrats, something like 440,000 registered Republicans. Who are we talking to and who are we talking about when we're in the 5th District in terms of the breakdown in, in registered voters here? Well, in the 5th District, I don't have the exact breakdown, but there are definitely more unaffiliated voters. And so, and there's, there's four big cities, and there's, you know, mostly rural and, and suburban town mix. So it makes it the, the least Democratic of all Connecticut's five congressional districts. And so I think that's why we've seen outside money uh, from Republicans pouring in, because they do believe that they, they have a shot, even though a lot of political analysts still say it's a lean Democratic. Dan Har, I grew up in Torrington, which is about a half hour from here, 35 minutes, something like that. I'm in, I'm in the 5th District. I grew up in, I guess uh, it used to be a little different. There was a 6th District back in the day. But is this a, is this a, a lot of people call it a purple district. I've always heard that when I grew up. Well, it's definitely a swing district. There's no question about it. It would be more of a swing district if they had gotten New Britain uh, out and in, 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 here we are in New Britain. It really shouldn't be in this district, folks. It should be in the first. Or it should be a CT1 because now, you have a lobster claw, right? That's right. So we would have had to drive a little bit further if we live in Hartford. But seriously, that it's, it is a swing district, and it would be even more so 
uh, if it weren't for New Britain being in the district. Ironically, that stems from the year 2000 when they gave New Britain in that redistricting, or 2001, to then Congresswoman Nancy Johnson because she needed it as a Republican. And so it's backfired. Let's get into a little bit about the debate and uh, some of the rhetoric that we heard in there. Uh, a lot of the, the campaign season and leading up to this, we've heard George Logan connect um, Johanna Hayes, the Congresswoman, to Nancy Pelosi, the Biden-Harris administration. There was a memorable moment there where we're talking about how uh, Congresswoman Hayes votes What'd you take away from that conversation and that connection that George Logan's tried to make? Right, well, I think that kind of speaks to this race in itself and that it's more of a national political battle and that the parties have drawn their line and it's completely um, partisan at this point. But at the same time, you also saw both of them kind of reach out and be like, well, you know, if you elect me, I'm also going to work with the other party. And I think that's a way that they're, they're trying to speak to the unaffiliated voter. Neither of these two candidates has an especially strong legislative record. And that's not to take a swipe at them. It's just that they're relatively new. In, in the case of George Logan, uh, he was a senator in one term in the minority and another term as a still junior level senator in a split Senate. So they were not, they're not either one people who have strong individual accomplishments and that's why they revert to the party. And of course with inflation taking over this, this election, that becomes the Republican rallying cry. Yeah, and on inflation, uh, Congresswoman Hayes has gotten a lot of uh, a guff or whatever you want to call it for saying at one point uh, the, the breakdown, or at least how you were on the commercial, is that the Democrats have single-handedly saved the economy. And she got that again tonight. What did you think about her response to that question? Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't think the party can, you know, take too much credit. I mean, in inflation and monetary policy is set by the Fed. So um, I'm not quite sure how much any single congressperson is able to sway that. I mean, there are investments that they are making with the Inflation Reduction Act, and they're hoping to spur the economy in that way. Um, but I don't think that there's anything necessarily they could do to stem inflation at this point. Quickly on inflation. I think the Democrats are getting it all wrong. They should kick back and call it Trumpflation, which is about 50% correct, and it's 50% the other side. Trump has as much to do with this inflation as Biden without the shadow of a doubt. I could go into facts and figures, but you said quick. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting out there struggling trying to get this going because now our show's truncated essentially and we have a shorter show. So let me just wrap up the uh, fifth district talk. Do you think, Christine, that it's as close as many people think it is this race? You know, it's hard to tell. There, there aren't a lot of polls out there and it's, you know, who, who is motivated to get out to the polls and and I'm not quite sure um, uh, when you get there if you're going to be doing anything but voting party line. Connecticut is known to be a ticket-splitting state, and I think this year we're going to see a bunch of people vote by party. Any shot for George Logan in this race? Yes, I, I, I agree with what Christine said, but the wild card is that he's been on the ground at every ham and bean dinner in this district for the last, what, year, year and a half? So that counts for something. I want to just, we only have a couple minutes left. Can I just pivot to the governor's race and see any impressions you guys have had lately? I know that uh, vaccine mandates came up today. It surprised some people, some people thinking we're in 2021 talking about that. But no, there were new uh, recommendations that come out. What, what do you guys think about that whole thing? I'll start with you, Dan. Lamont has protected himself. He's been clear that he's not ordering any new vaccine mandates. 
Bob Stefanowski did not criticize the mandates, notably, that came out in August and September of 21. So that has himself boxed in a little bit. That said, he has a right to demand an answer from Lamont, and hopefully he'll get one. Christine. Well, I, I mean, the governor did say today that he wasn't going to mandate it for um, the, the childhood vaccine schedule. So I think that, you know, he's been clear about not wanting to interfere and not wanting to necessarily mandate some of these things as his, you know, Democratic colleagues in other states have done. Can I give you guys 20 seconds each to maybe give you your final impressions of the last month or so here on the elections or any races you're watching, anything like that? Quickly, I mean, I'm definitely you. watching the, the 5th Congressional District, definitely watching the Senate race and the governor's race, so we'll see. This is the race to watch. I'm a little bit surprised that Leora Levy is polling as close as she is to Blumenthal and that Stefanowski is polling as far apart, but the, the, that new poll by the Republican outfit is showing it closer. It is going to tighten. This is the race to watch for a win for the Republicans. I really enjoy talking to Danny and Christine, and I wish we had a little more time, but you guys did a great job. And I want to, I want to in this last like 90 seconds or so, just thank a couple of people. I want to thank Johanna Hayes and uh, George Logan for coming on the show tonight. And of course, our cast and crew that has been here for all these debates that we've had, something like five debates. We wish we could do more, but nonetheless, this is the final one. Our supervising producer and director, Julianne Veracci, our production manager, um, our, excuse me, our operations manager, Joe Koss, Bradley O'Connor, our audio engineer, Tim Rasmussen, who is uh, the executive producer of this program, and uh, stage manager, Megan Boone, and uh, Linda McGovern made us all look good tonight with our makeup. Thank you to her as well. And Jim Serber, who produced this whole thing. Thank you so much to our cast and crew for doing this. I wish we had more time to talk elections. Oh man, you guys did a great job coming here tonight. I have a couple more seconds. Any more impressions on the debates or anything that you've seen in the last uh, couple think, of months? I think this debate, in contrast the one, to the one two days ago, there were some really sharp, specific divisions on issues. Um, that 14% of votes question, yeah. how closely she's hewed to the party. Um, abortion, he's clearer. I think there's some big differences. Christine, last word. Oh boy, last word. Um, I, I do agree with Dan that there were some definite dis distinctions made tonight and they were very specific. So it gives voters a lot to think about. Further coverage information, go to ctpublic.org. Thank you so much for watching. Good night from New Britain.